This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 138. I get to hang out with my new friend Erica on today's episode. She is the co-founder of My Village. I continue to fall more in love with My Village as I check it out. It's such an incredible program that you'll hear a bit about throughout this episode, Uh, but we were really here to chat about teacher burnout and woof, man, the statistics around early childhood teacher burnout are scary. They're alarming. We have a lot of work to do in the early childhood community and supporting teachers so that they aren't living in a space where they're getting so burned out so fast. I know what that's like firsthand in the classroom. I know what it feels like to leave every day exhausted, to be like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. A lot of ideas have been tossed around about what causes teacher burnout, what leads to it. Today in this episode, we are diving into the data and what we have noticed in our experience as well. In my experience as a teacher, A huge part of burnout was being under-resourced, not feeling supported or valued enough, being thrust into a position where I had to wear so many hats and there wasn't enough support for me to do so, to adequately show up. I needed to learn how to set boundaries with families, with kids, with the administration, and what it looked like to be able to do this work from a place of rest instead of stress. Next week, I am launching a free webinar series for early childhood educators and directors, home care providers. We are diving into four different topics with four other experts in the field of early childhood. If you want to join us, you can go to seedschools.org to sign up for the free webinar series If you can't attend live, you're able to access the replay. It's an opportunity for early childhood educators to come together and be on this journey together to chat about these topics that fill our cup and to just carve out time to take care of ourselves. On those webinars, we'll be sharing about our SEED certification program, SEED standing for Schools Excelling in Emotional Development, that is going live on September 23rd. In the SEED certification program, we have a workshop on self-care to prevent teacher burnout. We dive deep into that, a whole workshop for y'all, plus seven other workshops for a total of seven hours of professional development and ongoing support from our SEED team. SEED schools will also get access to our Tiny Humans Big Emotions program for all of the parents within their school so that everyone can be on the same page, and working in collaboration for this work. To find out more about the certification program and to join our webinar series for free to come hang out with some teachers, directors, and home care providers, come on over to seedschools.org and sign up today. 
I love hanging out with you live. All right, y'all, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with Erica Mackey, who I'm so jazzed to get to sit down with. We I've like been virtually following her, connected to her business for a little while now. And this is our first time getting to meet. How are you, Erica? So good and so thrilled to be here. Can't wait to see what unfolds over the next hour. <laughs> same, same. That's my favorite part of all podcasting. We're like, we'll just see where this goes. So Erica is the CEO and founder, co-founder of My Village. And my village is so rad, like from the teacher perspective as well. And so many of my friends work in home care provider programs. And Erica, I want you to like accurately explain all of my village. And I want to pull out these parts that I think are just so phenomenal for the field. Right. Yeah. So my village basically started to make it easy to start and successfully run a home-based childcare program and then make it really rewarding for families to find and engage with those programs. I mean, we fell in love with home-based as we started to try to, to figure out how to tackle the challenge of not enough quality supply in the market. So that's, as we've been learning more and more about the support systems of home-based, it is just so clear that the mission for us, which is to harness the power of community to create exceptional care for every child. It is like home-based is such the key ingredient in making it accessible for every child, quality care accessible for every child, that it's it's just thrilling to uh, dedicate ourselves to this. Yeah, it's so cool. And we know that more than 50% of kiddos across the U.S. are in home-based programs. And so when we're looking, you know, I grew up in like a small town in Western New York, and we have here in Vermont a child care desert. And it's this ongoing issue of like just access to care. And a lot of families aren't even looking right now at access to quality care because they just need access to care. And that's a problem within early ed. Like all kids should have access to high quality care. And I agree that I think home base is a way to make that accessible. And there are so many folks who want to start a home program and don't have the tools to do so. And My Village really sets you up with that. I think it's phenomenal. And doing so in a way that is high quality, of course, like that's something I can't ever let go of uh, as an early childhood nerd. And uh, I, I, today I wanna chat about teacher burnout and kind of what that has looked like from your side of things and uh, the perspective on your end and really what this has looked like for me on the center-based care and as a teacher and where we go from here and what we can do to support folks on this journey. Yeah, maybe if I just jump in there. So our motivation in getting started comes from a super different anchor than yours. So myself and my co-founder are moms and we are entrepreneurs. So we don't, we didn't come at this with the early childhood experience of going through burnout, but what was fascinating and and ended up being one of the most incredible learnings that we unearthed in our kind of journey along the way of trying to figure out how to solve what we were experiencing first as parent pain, which was just Like, unless you get on a wait list before you started thinking about conceiving, you have to compromise in quality or affordability. And that's just not possible to get more resources (laughs) to Mm -hmm. pay more. Um, And so the parent pain was really clear. But on the like, when we went to start to see, okay, well, what are the solutions? How do we actually start to course correct this imbalance in the marketplace that we we've interviewed all across the board? So it was you know, child care center directors, employees, uh, nannies, like individualized care nannies, people who worked on all through all the like digital platforms, which is another interesting note is that most of the innovation has happened in the smallest part of the market, which is the individualized care nanny services. Um, just just a fascinating little note. Um, but uh, then you know, like once we started getting into home-based care, the stat that 20% of the industry 
turns every year. So it turns out the entire workforce turns every five years was mind blowing to me as a, as an entrepreneur was just how inefficient is that system? And just, you know, how long it takes to get good at this job, like how in this career path, like how can we be bleeding so badly? Um, and, and that obviously drove a lot of the quality effects that we were seeing. Um, but when we try to figure out why that was, we thought, okay, financial is going to be one of the biggest learnings that we, you know, like people just aren't, and it's true, people are not making enough, but that is not the singular currency that motivates people who choose to do this uh, as a career path. And what we heard more often than not, especially in home-based was my walls are closing in on me, <laughs> was this sentiment of isolation that like, I don't get, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I don't have a, I don't have peers to support me. I don't know, like I, I have no sounding board. I feel just super alone and I just can't do that for another year, another day or another week. So that for us was like from, from the burnout perspective, that sense of isolation and overcoming that isolation was so core, but we came at it from a very different a different starting place. Totally. You got to the same place though. One of my good friends is a home care provider, has been for a couple of decades, and she wrote a book. It's Overcoming Teacher Burnout in Early Childhood Strategies for Change. And Ellen Drillette, in when she started to do this research as well, she also went in not knowing like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be pay? We know that early childhood educators are paid often trash. And so not shocking, like I couldn't have stayed the school I was in, the last school that I was in, in the Boston area, I was paid pretty well. And every head teacher had to have a master's in early childhood. It was like a really unique school. Yeah. Um, and that didn't exist in Vermont when we were moving here. Like I truly couldn't have gotten the same job here as I had there. And I would have taken a 50% pay cut to stay in the classroom here. And that's wild. But still at the end of the day, what she found as well in her research was that pay was not number one and it wasn't what people were noting for leaving the field. I think because everyone who goes into early childhood kind of knows, it's not like it's a big secret uh, where yeah. you get in and then you're like, ooh, I remember my very first uh, teacher job. I was living in Brooklyn in New York City and I, was, I got offered a preschool teaching job and they offered me $30,000 a year living in Brooklyn, right? And I was elated. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a thousandaire. This is incredible. So rad. And then like started working and very quickly was like, oh, I can't afford to live. And so as a teacher, always had multiple jobs, never just had one. And you had to, to make it work, but that wasn't what led to my burnout, right? Like that's not what ultimately drove me out of a classroom. And you hit the nail on the head there. The like, community piece and I think combined with that lack of resources and it's just the idea of like wearing so many hats when we look at like elementary school teachers you have a speech language pathologist you have an occupational therapist there you have specials teachers you have a full resource team you have a school psychologist or a guidance counselor or a school nurse all these other people who come in to be a part of that village and take care of these tiny humans so that you are singularly focused on your zone of genius and child exactly. development and in early childhood, we're like, good luck, you're wearing every hat. <laughs> and if you layer on the home base piece, this, I mean, this is something we say often, you're not only all of the things that you mentioned, but you're also marketer, chef, uh, front of the house, back of the house, like you're, and then you've got your other dynamics of your household happening at the same time. I mean, it is an impossible mountain to climb alone. Absolutely. Not impossible. Some people do it phenomenally, but it, it, is, a, it is an incredibly challenging uh, mountain to climb without a, without a village behind you. Absolutely. And we, you know, this came up a lot when we were creating the seed certification was it, it was designed to be, I wanted it to be no fluff, right? I wanted it to just be what would, what I wanted as a teacher. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was so fun to create, but we interviewed home care providers and teachers and directors kind of across the board, like, what do you really want? What are you looking for? And it's, it ends up being both professional development, but then also this community where they get to call on and get support and resources from everyone else who is seed certified and our team of experts in the field of early childhood, right? Because I think you nailed it, but like, it's so isolating. 
you feel so alone in that classroom. Even if you are in a, when I was in a center-based and I had like other people to talk to, you don't really, you got nine kids or 18 kids, depending on your classroom size. You're not like sitting around chatting about things. Right. <laughs> and it's so lonely. It's so true. And even in this, you know, in the childcare center setting where you have coworkers, you don't have, it's not like you're, like you said, a teacher's lounge. You're not sitting talking about your learnings from the day and how you're going to do it differently. Like there's just no time. There's no space for, for any of that. It was what really fascinating in, in the other kind of element of what we've learned throughout this COVID timeframe uh, has been really interesting where we thought a lot of the benefit of overcoming the sense of isolation and creating community was going to be around positive reinforcement as you know trusted peers that were like you that maybe did things differently but you knew had that same commitment to quality and the experience and that we would be able to generate a lot of resource sharing a lot of support a lot of around specific areas of shared interest and then obviously as we get more and more programs we can drive down costs those those components of economy of scale which aren't possible unless you're a gigantic child care center chain then become accessible to you. And so we kept thinking about like, okay, how do we get stronger as a community as we grow? And what was fascinating about the experience through COVID was one of the things that we did up front was we recognized that like how big the unknown was. And even though our programs ended up being deemed essential in each of the, you know, most of them are under 10 children in a program, stable groups. I mean, they had all the components of this pod mentality up, up front, um, different price point, but, <laughs> but <laughs> the uh, safety and, and stable components of it that, uh, that we, we thought, okay, well, if we're going to keep operating, we, we know there's going to be under-enrollment. There's probably going to be exposure to like whether or not there's someone high risk in a household, the educator's high risk, who's running the program, there's fam like withdrawal. So we raised a fund. Um, we have phenomenal impact investors that were involved early on in, in our business. And we raised some grant money that we were able to guarantee under-enrollment or enroll, you know, tuition while if programs were forced to close or voluntarily chose to close. So we basically guaranteed income during the, the, this time period and then let people decide how they were, what risk tolerance that they were willing and then didn't have that then translate to the burden 100% for families to continue paying during it. Um, and so we, what was interesting, 80% of our programs plus stayed open the whole time. They didn't have exposure. I mean, we're also in states that weren't New York and California, but, um, but we, had, we stayed open during, during the whole time. And we had weekly calls uh, with our educators to digest what new guidance was coming out or if there was a change in policy or change in supports where they could voice what they needed and we could send it to them. Um, and what was very clear, so our satisfaction went through the roof, our ratings you know, of our educators during, during that time frame. And what was really clear is the value of community when times like this happen wasn't like positive support as much, as much as it was risk reduction. Like thinking about each individual business, each individual educator's experience on their own, in their four walls, trying to make, like just distill through the guidance that was coming out then or no guidance and trying to find it and having to do it on their own and then having the safety net that they wouldn't have had before. Like that was a, this sense of, like we have you during good times and bad, that was um, was something that is clear in hindsight, but we never would have predicted was so important up front. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, 
and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and mealtimes, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Um, And then another crazy fact during that time, so we were digesting and distilling CDC guidance, their state's guidance, here's resources, like here's what we can provide, but here's where you can get. So it was really specific for them. Um, And 60% of our educators got their news through us, which is another crazy statistic, which we didn't intend to be a news organization, but it's just like when you have in the world that we live in so much coming at you, when I think this is so applicable to how you've also created your certification program is you've tailored it to be so, um, so specific to the needs of an early childhood educator in the world we live in today, that, uh, it, it cuts through the noise in a way that, that you just don't have time to do when you're all of those things. Totally. There's so much oversaturation. And I mean, you hit a Google search bar and, and you're going to be overwhelmed. And what I was hearing when you were sharing, you know, the steps you took in COVID, we know that we all from just like a basic psych level want to feel safe and seen. And you did that. You said like, we're going to make sure that you are safe. You can take whatever risk feels right for you. And we see you, we value you as humans, which is something I think that's often left out of this conversation with early childhood educators. I mean, I, I, we have a workshop within um, the Seed Cert that's self-care for teacher burnout, specifically yeah. to help prevent teacher burnout. And it's, what does that look, what does self-care actually look like as a teacher practically, right? Like on right. the ground when you're in this and, oh, I've been to so many workshops from folks where I'm like, oh, you- But it's not pedicures before yeah. <laughs> Right. Like, oh, you've never, that's not tangible. You've never been in a classroom yeah. clearly because that's not something we could do. Um, but so I wanted to create, again, like the workshop that I wanted and needed as a teacher. And in doing this, I shared this story where I remember calling into work one day, like five in the morning and calling and say, hey, I've been throwing up, like not feeling well, can't come in. And they were just like, okay, like, let us know if you stop throwing up today. Like, if you feel like you could do the afternoon. And I was like, what? Right. Like I'm working with toddlers. I'm working with tiny humans. And And you're sweating. (laughs) Like if I stop throwing up in the next couple hours, you'd like me to, are you going to disclose this to families? Like she called this morning was throwing up is now here with your kids. And it was just that, uh, that treatment of like, you're a body, not a human. And I have had, I've experienced so much of that over the years from even down to like, Ooh, I, you know, I was in Boston and then New York and now Vermont. And we have a lot of snow days or things like that that come up where it's uh, that risk of like, is it safe for me to get to school today? Uh, and who does the school prioritize at that point? And what does that look like? And in that f- I've worked at schools where I felt valued and I felt like, okay, cool. They're looking out for my safety and well-being. And I've worked at schools where that wasn't the case. And I think uh, just feeling safe and seen, it sounds so simple, but it's, 
at the core of us, like being able to show up in early childhood and feel valued in a workplace and feel like, okay, they do value who I am as a human outside of what I can do in the classroom or me being a body in the classroom. I absolutely. And it's, it's the fundamental breakdown of how the economics work in the system. Like we have less of a issue with this in the home-based environment, but obviously like when there's huge overheads for centers, the larger centers get, and the, the way to your point about like bodies, humans over bodies, it's like the amount of fractional minutes that people are sent home because of ratio changes, or, I mean, how can, you can't prepare, you can't do, you know, you initially started saying everybody has a second job. Like you just can't build a life, even at a baseline level, when you don't even know what next week is gonna entail. And it's like success for the center is sending you home the second that the ratios allow it, allow for it. Like that is such a fundamental incentive breakdown in the experience that we need for our children, which is which is one of the things that I do love about home. Like there's many other challenges of being a business owner and the risk that you take in the financial ups and downs and living, you know, month to month if things aren't working and you know, and that survival mentality to get started. But when you are the director and the in-classroom teacher, like that accountability system and the like really feeling in charge of your own decisions becomes different. The, risks are displaced, but, but, uh, it's a different, it's a different experience than feeling just, you know, like you're, you're part of a formula that's constantly being balanced and optimized. Absolutely. And I think, uh, one of the things as I was like diving into my village that I really appreciated was, uh, that it sounds like you guys recommend that home providers take two weeks, at least two weeks of paid vacation each year. We actually require it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that even things like that, right? Like I often, this isn't just for early childhood educators, but often teachers are paid out for the vacation they don't take. And we, there was like an award given at a school I worked with for the person who took the least amount of time off. And I was like, you know, we're working in this field, right? Like you noted that statistic at the beginning, 20%. And I'm like, guess what's not going to (laughs) help. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I I think that that's so key, just valuing the human behind this work and teachers learning how to advocate for themselves, whether it's with families and boundaries there. That's a lot of what we talk about in self-care is boundaries. What does that look like? Again, whether you have a director. In all aspects of your life, like, (laughs) you know, with parents, with children and, and with your your home environment, whatever, you know, whoever is your support network. Absolutely. That's literally like the breakdown of our our self-care workshop for like, what do these boundaries look like? How do you advocate for them? Uh, And I think especially in a female dominated field where we haven't been raised culturally to advocate for ourselves, to have needs and be worthy of having needs. And I think learning how to do that is a huge component to curbing burnout. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's been super apparent to us through our interviews with the, when, when we started this and we've been at it for a few years now, but you know, we went to all of the top rated, like best recommended, you know, programs, home-based programs that were still operating in the space at 15 years plus they, you know, beat all the odds to still Mm -hmm. be in operation and still, still have their fire. And they were like, yeah, boundaries. That was the number one thing that they, they like, the passion was always the same. The, like all of those components, it was always boundaries. One of the other interests, cause we recruit a lot of people in, but we only select about 10% of the, all of the leads that come through on our educator uh, recruitment process. And one of the fascinating thing in our, in that recruitment process that surfaces is that there is a similarity between candidates that often we hear, I've never had a champion in my life before. And that's consistent. And that's really a feeling that we, we try to cultivate in our support system, but they, they've never had somebody telling them, you can do this. It's going to be hard, but I know this is going to be like something that like, you could, you're going to nail, you, you can really achieve at this. And like having some that feeling of having someone in your corner has been a really interesting, consistent theme through 
our community of educators as they get going and a role that we really clearly identified early that needed to be filled um, and deserves and should be filled, but I, you know, obviously drives a lot to that sense of isolation and ultimate burnout. Totally. And again, just feeling valued there. Like what you're saying is I trust you. <laughs> and so many yeah. folks in doing the seed cert, we contracted out some of the workshops to other experts in the field of early ed. And we have somebody, everyone has a master's in early ed. This is their zone of genius. This is what they present on. This is the work that they do. And one of the folks was like, oh, can we connect and I can share with you like my outline and my goal for the workshop, whatever. And I was like, if you're looking for a sounding board, sure, but I don't need to see it. Like, I trust you to do this. This is your zone of genius and not mine. And I trust you to do it. And she wrote back and was like, no one has ever responded that way. And I was like, that's a problem, <laughs> right? Like, that is a problem. Yes, a PhD student who does research on this. I don't need to oversee your workshop here. I reached out to you for a reason. We chose you for a reason. And just the trust, I think, is so huge. Yeah, that's so huge. I love that you guys reinforce that and provide that for folks. Again, I think it comes back to that worthiness, um, especially in a female-dominated field. Yeah, and, and this journey of becoming a professional, you know, and, and being treated because you are one up front and, you know, and everyone develops through that. So like, it's a fine balance of feeling like you've got a support system, but you're also being pushed to stretch for your next goal. And that cycle, I think gets, gets lost in a lot of early childhood settings, you know, and professional settings. And so that's something that we've really tried to where so much of that, the, you know, where you get, well, at least where many people get their energy is from feeling like you've set a goal and you've accomplished it, you know, yeah. and, and just clocking in every day and having nobody tell you, like, help you work through your own development and having that path of growth is so like a big part too, that we found is just really figuring out how in the, in the, in the right ways, can we build a growth mindset? And how do we in bite-sized ways where it's not another thing that you have to do that involves somebody showing up with a checklist on a clipboard? <laughs> Is it your setting of your own goals that we're helping unearth resources for you to achieve versus, you know, a, a predetermined path that somebody's yelling at you to <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I think that is also something that's often lost in early ed. I mean, a lot of places don't even provide professional development for their teachers, uh, which is a whole different can of worms. But we, when we're not doing that, we're not then supporting a teacher's growth, right? And the reason that I was able to do the work that I was able to do and create the collaborative emotion processing method and research it across the U.S. and whatever while teaching full-time was because I was in an environment where that was supported, right? Where we were Absolutely. encouraged to be doing research and to be going to this next level within our work, whatever that looked like for us. And I think that's so important in early ed, again, especially in these spaces where like I was an infant teacher and you know, we don't read to kids today expecting them to read back to us tomorrow. We have right. days that are monotonous where you were going through the same routine. I mean, you, you with a seven week old in your arms right now, like, you know, that like, yeah, we're on a pretty similar trajectory and it takes a long time for these skills to develop. And I will pass kids off and have done like pretty similar things every day with them. And I think in order for us with our adult brains to stay engaged, there has to be something else that we're also working toward there. Other professional goals or something else that we're interested in diving deeper into or learning about. I love that you guys provide that. That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that such a, a great analogy to also the, the where the system falls short of not recognizing the value of the investment? <laughs> well, if we can't quantify it in today's budget or in today's vote, then we'll just put that off till later. It's such a hard thing to run on. It's such a hard thing to get reelected on anything within early ed because our results are going to be far down the road, right? And it's very hard to measure any immediate results in early ed, especially if we're doing it right. <laughs> we shouldn't be working towards a tomorrow goal. 
I mean, how do you, given the world is burning out right now, I mean, the entire, like every single, doesn't matter what profession you're in with the exceptions of very few, like everyone's in a burnout state at the moment. What do you think are the opportunities that are harnessable? You know, we, we think of it about this a lot from the home-based perspective. I mean, in essence for our business, the world woke up and said, oh, your category is important. Yeah, that's we exactly didn't think it. so yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that that's so true, even more broadly on, on this sentiment and, and understanding of burnout and how it affects and permeates through every single aspect of everyone's home life and work life and, and how our community engages with each other. I'm just wondering how, yeah, what do you think is harnessable as, as in terms of an opportunity there? Yeah, I think specifically within early ed right now, the idea of quality care is something we need to be loud and clear about because parents have been home with kids and recognize how hard this is to do and how hard it is to do in a high quality fashion. That if we want kids to build certain skill sets for life, it takes a lot of intention. And that means we need to be adequately funding early childhood care so that teachers can have training that they need to have that a lot of a lot of folks are walking into early ed and are not trained in child development right and we're like here you're responsible for this human's brain that develops 80% by the time they're 3 and 90% by the time they're 5 good luck and we haven't trained them or supported them along the way and i don't think everybody needs to have a degree in early ed by any means but i do think that like now's a time for us to be really loud about what quality care means and what it would look like to have access to that, especially since right now parents are like, well, this is hard. <laughs> Turns out this is really hard. And <laughs> it, and that like it, there are skills, you know, like now my family is all, a lot of my family's in education and K through 12. And they're looking at this in a K through 12 space of like, all right, what skills are we anticipating won't be developed or will be underdeveloped when kids return that we're gonna have to focus on because what are parents not equipped with that they weren't trained in to do this, right? To teach these skills at home. And we don't think about that a whole lot in early ed. And I think part of it is the idea that like anyone can be a stay-at-home parent. um, And we don't look at that in the same way that we look at homeschooling. Where in homeschooling, you have to register them. You're tracking their development. We're saying like, what are you doing to make sure they're meeting these goals? And birth to five, we're just like, sure, yeah. We'll check them at the pediatrician appointment with a pediatrician who's not trained in child development. And so- And it's self-reported for the most part. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so I think this, I, I hope that there can be a cultural shift here if we can be really loud about what high quality care means and why it matters. Right now when everyone is in the thick of like, oh man, this is hard. And there are skills that I don't have access to because I wasn't trained in them as a parent, right? And it would be absurd to, have every parent trained in child development like that shouldn't be the goal the goal should be a village of folks who are trained for us to turn to uh, as parents and right now that's not what we have across the board in early ed so that's where i hope the shift could happen through the pandemic yeah it's going to be interesting obviously where like where the dollars flow but then also in our experience and I may get a little bit in trouble saying, saying this, but in our experience, there is definitely a, like a section of the early childhood workforce that is an old dog's new tricks mentality. Um, and a lot of that has to do with burnout. When you're just on the other side of the burnout curve, it's very hard to rally, to want to work harder, to spend more hours, to adopt new things. It's just I mean, it's a state of depression and, you know, in, in how it manifests in some. So I'm not saying it's fundamentally people's, you know, DNA that's different, but, but it's just the, like the, the headspace that people get into. And so I, I wonder how the, the entire makeup of the early childhood workforce ecosystem has to shift to be able to actually implement at large, um, like if it was government funded mm-hmm. and government supported a a push towards towards quality i mean in my i guess to boil that down there's going to have to be a lot of new like new educator 
new teachers, new, new, new people in, in the workforce to be able to actually achieve that. A thousand percent. And I think there will be a lot of resistance from folks that would fall into that old dogs, new tricks category that yeah, I, I was giving this workshop, you know, NACI, NAUIC, yep. I was presenting at Vermont's AUIC and I had a room of a hundred and something teachers and directors and whatever, and was presenting on emotional development. There was a table of humans who had been running home care programs for 20 to 30 plus years, sitting right up at the front, and they literally right in front of me. And then this whole room of, you know, a hundred other folks. And the entire time, there were three humans at the table, just like arms crossed uh, it, to the point where I wanted to be like, why'd you come, right? Like why you all yeah. of these, you have so many workshops to choose from, why'd you pick this one? And I, and a few times they like raised their hand and they were like, well, that couldn't work because of this. Well, this couldn't work because of this. And it was actually, it's been interesting because I think not only in teachers, but as an entrepreneur, I'm in some like women in business groups and whatever, and have found that I actually have gravitated towards, oh, I might get in trouble for this, but men <laughs> in business, because yeah. when I've been in these groups so often and we're sharing like pain points, I'm like, cool, here's a system I found that's been really helpful. Like want people to pick it apart, want to like grow in that sense. and over and over, I feel like I met with like, oh, that wouldn't work because when I'm speaking to women in business, and then I was recently around a table of all men, and we were diving into systems, and they were like, oh, cool, like, let's, yeah, what, how could that work? How could that adapt here? Whatever. It, it was this like, yes, and let's figure out how that works. And so I wonder also, as we're looking at like, these home care programs, how much is it like you've been in it for so long and just psychology wise, we know that cognitive flexibility gets harder as we go on. And also how much is it like of this female, like this wouldn't work for me? Like how much is this gendered? I'm wondering. I'm going to get, well, I think, uh, I know we're both going to get, <laughs> that's okay. That's what makes interesting conversation. But I, I mean, I think it's those elements that you're pulling out, but I also think it's not wanting to rock the boat mm. you know it's like an emotional connection to the person who taught you that or created yeah. that and like there's just that like stereotypically anyways you know on the on the balance of, of probability a dis uh, that emotional disconnect or or that connection is not valued as much when you're working with men where it's about the idea you know it's about totally. like it, although i can say on either side, sometimes it's about whose idea was it? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe there's like almost like that people pleasing mentality, whether it's um, conscious or subconscious of like, oh, I want to honor like what I learned here. I also think like in education, when you're thrown so many things all the time, it's like, here's the new program we're using. Nope, we're using this one now. But if you've been doing this for 20, 30 years and you're like, okay, great. I've been through all your new programs and like, it hasn't really changed my day to day that you probably hit a point where you're like, how do I know that this one will? Yeah, you're numb. Yeah. It's a sense. And again, that ties back to the burnout. I think it really is a part of that cycle where if you received rewards from having a growth mindset, you would continue to grow. But our system is created as such that it does like you're not earning more, you're not getting more validation. You're not, I mean, with the exception of, you know, the few, the few uh, situations that you provided up front, whereas, you know, you had an opportunity at a really well-paying school in a community, one of the few communities that could afford to pay that because you had a master's because, you know, and, and it afforded all these other gross opportunities, but like fundamentally we don't reward that in the system. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. 
Hormone harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, hormone harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit, feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we also, I think people, part of that burnout is just the overwhelm of I'm wearing all these hats. And I even, again, personally, like having worked at schools where I was everything, we didn't have any support services coming in, et cetera, versus the last school I was at, we had an occupational therapist on contract. We had speech language pathologists on contract, not there to work with the kids, not like early intervention style, but there to work with us, to support yeah. us as professionals on how we could better serve these kiddos or if we had questions. And having access to more resources, again, with the seed cert, I pulled in the SLP and the OT I got to work with, pulled them in to do workshops. So I was like, you guys changed how I got to run my classroom. You gave me access to tools I didn't have as a teacher because I wasn't trained in those things. And yep. I think we just are like, oh, teacher, be all of these things uh, without that support. And I don't think, I, I think that's a huge part of that burnout. And then parents expect that right? They turn yes. and they're like, fix this. What am I supposed to do with this kid? Like, I'm not an OT. Right. Right. You're supposed to be the jack of all trades, like the expert in everything for the interface with parents. Um, and you feel responsible to, to do that. You know, like that totally. is like, you want so, especially if you're good at your job, you want so bad for better outcomes to be possible that, that like, it's, it's a fine line to know, when that's outside of your expertise as well. Uh, so I think like that, that piece, and uh, yeah, it's, I, um, I think a lot too about like what you're saying is like this collection of experts that really helps feel, it's both feel that you are supported and that safety net, but it's also where you can stretch and grow and feel like you can pull yourself forward in that, in that way yeah. um, as a professional. And, I think it's a very different experience too for people who have been through degree programs versus starting out and doing this and like learning on the job where what we've found so far at least is, is like you can have a ton of resources. You can make them super easily access, accessible. Um, you can make them really relevant to your specific context, but until you know that that's a skill or an expertise that you need to your point about hats you're like you don't have the time you don't have the capacity yeah. to reach out and actually digest and implement and create a process so i think it is this you know it was my experience in school and in, in higher education I, I went to business school it was the same thing it's like i went through a marketing class but it wasn't relevant to me until I tried to market something. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, you know, totally. So, like it does apply to both sides, but I think like, as I look forward to what we're thinking about investing in from just like 
a coach, a system of support platform, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you, how do you balance that material for making it super easy to reach for the right thing when you need it? That's exactly it. It's when you need it. Like, do you, uh, in the state of Massachusetts, there was a series of workshops we had to take as a teacher in general, birth to five. And one of the trainings was a SIDS training. And I remember this teacher who was like, I never plan to work with babies. I have no desire to work with babies. I forever want to be in preschool. And it felt painful for her to have to watch this one hour SIDS training every year. And for me as an infant teacher, I was like, yeah, cool. Like this is applicable for me right now. Right. And so I think even within early ed, it's figuring that out. And uh, again, with the seed cert, that was something we got was like people would go to these workshops. And I remember this as a teacher, like going to NACI or going to a zero to three or whatever. And you go to these workshops, you spend all day. It's first of all, so much content for a day. And then you go home and you can't reference that stuff again. There's no access to those workshops or those trainers. And you're just in the thick of it, hoping you remember some of these things. And a huge part of the seed cert was like, you get access to these always. So you can reference back to them. You can see them again. You can reach out. I feel like it, again, from a teacher perspective was just like, this just makes sense that you can also ask questions at any point from our team, et cetera. If you're coming back to this or all of a sudden you do have a kid that you're curious about this and you're diving into it more so that you have this when just as you were saying when you need it and not just like here's all this training up front and you don't have any more access to it bye (laughs) and what have you learned through through the community that because if I remember right it's a couple thousand teachers who have taken the seed cert is not launched yet it launches what was the couple thousand number uh, I have to pull back. Okay, so it launches in September. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I thought you had done a, a couple months launch and had a, a, a couple thousand. So I was going to ask you. So maybe oh, this yeah. will be a, pre- a preemptive question. Yeah. Um, it was just like it, what will be interesting for me to, to come back and circle back with you is like just segmenting the teachers that end up take, taking it mm-hmm. when they're accessing resources after, is there a general flow? Like, is there a life right. cycle and a journey that starts to become more predictable or mm-hmm. is it completely random for right. everyone based on your makeup of classroom and your, you know, and, and, and whatever you're experiencing? Right. I, I predict that most people will take, so you have to do the eight workshops at seven hours of professional development in order to, and the assessments that follow in order to become seed certified. And at that point, your families all get access to our parent program, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, to bring them into this work too. And I anticipate schools will do the training kind of up front. And, but what I am curious to see is like, what do people come back and rewatch? What are they coming back and touching base on? What are they then following up with as time goes on? And also we, uh, you know, I love feedback so much. And so we (laughs) asked for like, what do you want more of? And I'm curious to hear that too. Like, what do you want us to do more workshops on? Are there other experts in early ed? You know, we interviewed folks for 18 months to then curate this list of what these workshops are. And I'm curious to see like, especially just as time goes on and culturally we shift, what do people want more of to dive deeper into? And yeah, and especially in, with the world, external components changing so rapidly, I'm sure that's going to to evolve pretty quickly. Yeah, there's, al- there's always going to be the like behavioral challenging behavior in a classroom. Like that is so tough. Right. I can't get to tomorrow until I solve this today. Yeah. But the, like, it's amazing. We've been we've been running some tests to just understand what people are googling when they're looking mm-hmm. for early child. You know, and it's the ebb and the flow of like everything from like, how do I get insurance, you know, to a certification for COVID to then back to curriculum and like, what does quality actually mean? You know, so it is like what the topical pieces are definitely ever evolving in the world we're in. Totally. And, you know, one of our workshops is anti-bias curriculum. And what does this really look like to be teaching anti-racism from birth, birth to five? And this is something that like now I'm like, 
school, that's a hot topic also was a part of our plan. <laughs> that, this is something that I think early childhood educators have been asking for. And now also the world is like, oh, we really do need to include this. That again, I think like early educators in a lot of ways were aware of this. Um, yeah. prior, had been asking for these workshops prior and now there's just a greater demand for it. But yeah, I'm, I am curious to see how it ebbs and flows and what people want more of. Well, we're definitely going to have to get to uh, figure out a p- potential partnership at, at the yeah, back I side of this. I, with it launching in, in September and just see if, if like how our educators can connect in and, and help yeah. it apply really to home-based providers Absolutely. too. Yeah. And I have, we beta tested with both home and childcare providers and It's been cool to see. I mean, it was one of the things when we were interviewing folks up front, one of the things we, when we were interviewing people, home-based providers continuously told us, like, we want to be treated the same way that center-based teachers are treated. And so we're like, great, we're going to make one program for everybody. And we'll include anecdotes and examples and ways that this applies in, in both environments. But great, there won't be a separate program then for home-based providers. It'll be the same program. And that so far, and like our beta testing is what has stood out. The people are like, it's it's nice to feel valued as an early childhood educator. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, feel feel like a professional. Yeah, yeah I think it goes back to this, um, you know, back to the burnout piece. I think it goes really anchors on this multi-currency understanding the multi-currency of of a early childhood educator and mm-hmm. it's not financial is important and we certainly need government to step up and mm-hmm. and help make that formula work in a lot of ways um but it's you know it's recognition it's growth it's there's so many other pieces to end boundaries <laughs> as we started with end boundaries yeah. <laughs> that feed in space that feed into feed into that recognition, you know, that currency equation. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Erica, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Can you share where folks can learn more about My Village if they're interested in either finding a school near them? Also, can you share what states you're currently in? And if people are interested in opening a program, they want to learn more about that. Absolutely. So it's My Village, myvillage.com. And it, it, we are operating right now uh, opening, helping educators open programs in Colorado and Montana. However, we are launching a different product nationally uh, in early September that's really oriented around being um, educator fo- an educator-focused product. So it's, it's less about helping them open My Village programs in their homes, but really being a system of support and response to the the entire world shift to home-based learning environments being a system of support for everyone who is running a home-based learning environment. Um, And so that is launching in early September. So definitely check check us out there. Almost like a coaching type program? Like a coaching platform, content, and then a sense of community. So you can kind of think of it like a virtual teacher's lounge in that essence. That's awesome. That's incredible. Sweet. And that's launching early September. So this is going to air probably right after it launches. So folks can go check that out. Can they find that right at myvillage.com? Yep. Awesome. Right on the website. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.